Hey friends, welcome to the Better Bible Reading Podcast with Kevin Morris, and welcome to the month of February. I hope you've been doing well so far in this year 2023. I hope it's a little bit easier to say 2023 and not seem like such a strange thing anymore. And I hope you're doing well in your progress reading through the Bible. This is one of those times where we decide if we meant what we were saying in our New Year's resolutions, as well as our endeavors to read the Bible and whatever kind of Bible reading plan you have. But just remember that the whole idea is to meet with the Lord. And so if your time has not been to your advantage in Bible study, if your progress has not been to your liking, then I just want to encourage you by a small win, but an important win, nonetheless, of perspective when it comes to reading the Bible. And that perspective that I want you to have is to come to appreciate the thing that we don't come to appreciate, genealogies. Genealogies are, in some sense, one of the worst things that we could ever come across when reading the Bible because we don't get excited about them. There's no sense of appreciation or suspense or mystery or anything like that when we're reading a genealogy. It's basically you understand that what it's doing is it's telling you that somebody lived. It's telling you that somebody died. It's telling you about their children. And then the pattern repeats. Those children lived and died. And they had children who also lived and died. And that's essentially what a genealogy is. So they're one of those things that we only hope if we come across one, then it's not going to be very long. Because we can just kind of power through it if it's not very long. If it is long, or if it has a lot of complicated names then we're probably going to look around to see if anybody has their eyes on us. And if they don't, we're going to just skip on over it to the next passage. Well, I don't want you to do that because I want you to remember that all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is profitable. And believe it or not, that also applies to genealogies. Now, before you say... I clicked on the wrong episode to listen to. I want to tell you that genealogies are very helpful for a number of reasons. The first reason that genealogies are very helpful is because they are one of the clearest evidences of the Bible being presented to us as an historical document. There's all kinds of debate, and it's nothing new in our modern day, but there's all kinds of debate as to whether or not the Bible is historically accurate. Is it simply a mix of fables and myths that have been intertwined? Maybe they've been borrowed from other nations or other religions by the people of Israel, and the people of Israel simply cut, copy, and paste the flow of a story with their own God 
and their own religious views, but were never meant to be taken as historically accurate. They were meant to be inspiring stories for moral uprightness and nothing else besides that. That's the kind of understanding that happens when it comes to the Bible. And it's interesting that people who throw stones at the historical reliability of the Bible don't normally say that it's an all-or-nothing thing. Sometimes they do, but typically the advanced scholars, the ones that are ironically really good at identifying things in narrative passages, which accounts for the vast majority of the Bible, is narrative in form. They're really good at pointing out things, but those same people will say things like, yeah, well, the flood didn't really happen. Or the human race didn't really descend from two people, two historical people called Adam and Eve. They weren't actually there speaking with a serpent who also presumably spoke back to them. There was no historical Jesus. And because of that, there was never a man named Jesus that died on the cross. There certainly was a man named Jesus who rose from the dead three days later. Right? These are the kind of things that uh, critical scholars, liberal theologians will say or liberal denominations with liberal pastors, these theologically liberal views about the Bible's historical reliability normally just throws stones at the Bible like the Enlightenment threw stones at the Bible, where we can say that a lot of this is true. All we have to do is cut out all of the supernatural parts. The problem with that is that all of the so-called supernatural parts of the Bible are intertwined and connected to historical genealogies. The question is, if we say the creation account of Genesis didn't actually happen the way that it says it did, it's just meant to be kind of a a beautiful poetic explanation of the creation of the heavens and the earth, but it's not actually supposed to be um, the fact that God created in six literal days and then rested on the seventh literal day and there was a literal Adam and Eve. Well, everything else happened historically as it's accounted for until we get to the next supernatural event, but that first part didn't actually happen in history. Well, the problem is, right after you have the creation of the heavens and the earth, you have the description of Adam and Eve. Guess what you have? A genealogy. You have children, Cain and Abel. And guess what you have after them? More children, more descendants. And in fact, you can't even understand somebody like Noah, or somebody like Abraham, or somebody like Moses without the Bible going to the trouble to give us their genealogy. Now, the question is, why does the Bible tie those people to their historical predecessors 
unless the Bible is making a claim that these are people who actually lived and died in history. In other words, it's a take it or leave it approach. And the same is true in the genealogies that I want us to look at very briefly on this episode, and that is the two genealogies of Jesus. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there are four Gospels. And of those four Gospels, the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels, uh, which means they are very synonymous in their structure, content, flow, all of that. Uh, they're, they're different, at least in form, from the Gospel of John. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the Synoptic Gospels. But of those three Synoptic Gospels, two of them, and that's Matthew and Luke, give us the account of Jesus' birth. And it's tied to his genealogy. So what I want to do is give you a kind of summary of not necessarily the genealogies in terms of all the people that are listed, but I want to give you a way to understand how these two genealogies in Matthew and Luke flow directly into the narrative, not only by tying Jesus to history, but also by tying the circumstances of his birth to the circumstances of Joseph and Mary as well. So I want to show you three similarities between these two uh, birth accounts of Jesus and the genealogies that are presented to us. So the first similarity between Matthew and Luke's account of Jesus' birth is that they have genealogies tied directly to them. Now, that may sound like what I've already said, but just think about that. Both Matthew and Luke's accounts of Jesus' birth and his childhood directly connect him to a historical genealogy. Now, what that means is that the Gospels, just like all of those Old Testament patterns, is that the Gospels place Jesus in a historical, chronological context. And because his genealogy happens at the beginning of the New Testament in the Gospels, it directly ties him to the Old Testament. So this was done, at least in large measure, to present the Gospels to us and the New Testament as a whole as a historical claim. Now, the reason that this is so important is that when it comes to those who would claim that Jesus never existed, but maybe they would be willing to grant that other parts of the Bible are historically accurate. But if they claim that Jesus never existed, then one of the first things that we should pose to those people is why then does the Bible include a genealogy for Jesus? And they have to be willing to reckon with that. One idea that people who say Jesus never existed is they will say, well, the Bible never intends for us to think that Jesus ever existed. It, it intentionally writes about Jesus as this mythical miracle worker. There was never an idea to look to him as a historical figure. 
it was to look to him as an inspirational myth for our own progress in being upright people in society. Well, again, you have to say, well, if that's what the Bible always intended, and we've just been getting it wrong and actually foolishly thinking that Jesus existed, what is the point of the genealogies? There is no point of the genealogies if they're not making a claim that this person uh, was a historical reality. What is the point of saying where a, where a person come from and then appealing to all of these other people in their family line? What is the purpose of essentially giving us a robust birth certificate, if you will, and tying them all the way back to these uh, previous generations if the argument is not, here's your proof that this person existed. Here's where they came from. I mean, that is what a genealogy does. So, for example, Matthew's account speaks of Jesus as the son of David. So here's that interaction as far as why the two genealogies are there. And they're not the same, by the way. They're not in terms of uh, who is included in what order, but in terms of who Jesus is being tied back to. So Matthew, for example, speaks of Jesus as the son of David. And so the genealogy is situated in order to prove Jesus' legal and ethnic right as the king of Israel. So remember David from the tribe of Judah, Jesus also from the tribe of Judah. Uh, there's no king at the time of Jesus' birth, at least for uh, the people of Israel, because they find themselves in a very strange dynamic, uh, existing kind of as a microcosm society inside of the Roman Empire, who basically rules and reigns over them, but gives them some luxuries as a distinct people group. Well, Jesus comes on the scene as the... Um, right to the throne. He is the son of David. He is literally um, the heir of David in his genealogy, and his genealogy provides that legal and ethnic right that he is, in fact, the king of Israel, not only in a spiritual sense, but in an ethnic sense. And then Luke, on the other hand, situates Jesus as the descendant of Abraham and all the way back to Adam. And the claim there that's made is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises for the world. So Jesus is presented in the Gospel of Luke as the new and final Adam. And he's also presented as the one who comes as a blessing to all nations. There's a lot of a, there, there's much more of a worldwide focus of the Gospel in Luke. There's a lot more interactions and explanations regarding the Gentiles in the Gospel of Luke, and the emphasis there is to show that Jesus is not just uh, Lord for the Jews, but he's Lord of Lords. He's King of Kings. He is the Savior of the world, not just one particular people group. And so that's why Luke focuses on Jesus' genealogical tie to Abraham and all the way back to Adam, because these were two men who existed before the formation of Israel. And Jesus is the new Adam, so he's the representative of all tribes and tongues and nations, and he is the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham 
that a promised seed would come to bless all the nations. So that's kind of the theological understanding of both of those genealogies, why they flow differently, why Jesus' genealogy in the Gospel of Matthew ties him to David specifically, and why the genealogy in Luke ties him to Abraham and Adam. All right, so the second similarity is the exaltation of Jesus by his contemporaries. Here's what I mean. Jesus is honored as the fulfillment of God's promise and the Messiah in both Matthew and Luke. So it's not just one thing that's focused on in Matthew, but not in Luke. It's, this is the focus in both of them. But there's also a difference in the way that this is described. So Matthew focuses on the kingly nature of Jesus. So he's exalted in, his, in the birth account by gift-giving, you think of the three wise men who come and they travel a very long distance to see him and they honor him as king, even while King Herod is ruling and reigning. And the gifts they give him were demonstrations of this um, king who is worthy of great honor, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Luke's gospel exalts Jesus in the same manner by celebrating his birth as the fulfillment of God's promises. But we see that in a different way. We don't have the account of the three wise men. Instead, we have this song of Mary, where Jesus is exalted, and we have Jesus being presented at the temple. And this idea of this song of celebration and this exaltation of Jesus presented at the temple is what you see in Luke's gospel to present Jesus as the one who gets the blessing and promises of God and secures those promises and blessings for his people. That's why Mary has cause for celebration. It's not just that a child is going to be born, but it's who that child is and what he's going to do. The third similarity that I want to mention is that Jesus' earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, are people of faith. Now, it's interesting that there is a different point of emphasis depending on which one of the two you read. But Mary and Joseph both were people who trusted in the God of the Bible they were willing to follow the instruction of the angels who frequently come to visit them and tell them where to go and tell them where not to go, tell them what to do next. But what makes these two Gospels different is not the fact that the parents are mentioned, because they're mentioned in both, but specifically the focal point, the way that the parents are represented. You could argue that whether you're reading Matthew or Luke's gospel will determine whether Mary is the important figure or Joseph is the important figure. Well, for example, Matthew's gospel, believe it or not, this might be something you've never noticed before, but if you read the introduction of Matthew's gospel, the first two chapters, which parent is the focal point? It's Joseph, it's not Mary. Matthew focuses much more on Joseph 
It speaks of his reaction to Mary's pregnancy. It speaks of his leadership in moving from place to place when instructed by the angel. Not Mary. It's interesting to note that. But then you get to the Gospel of Luke, and Mary suddenly becomes the focal point. In fact, very little of Joseph is even mentioned in Luke's Gospel. It's Mary who's the prime figure. Mary is the parent mentioned again and again in terms of her obedience to the angel's instruction, to her celebratory song. And that's one of the reasons why we need both of these Gospels. It's a whole other discussion to talk about why we have four Gospels and not five, or why we have four Gospels and not only two, or not only one. Um, All four of them are equally authoritative, but all four of them have different points of focus, different points of emphasis, different things that God wants us, through those human writers, to pay special attention to. And it's very interesting that it seems like in our day, very little is ever mentioned about Joseph. Now, on the one hand, the reason for that is because uh, Joseph was not the um, biological parent where Jesus was born from. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, and that is uh, a large part of the uh, narrative drama as we read it, is that Mary is pregnant, but not by Joseph and not by some other guy. Um, The Holy Spirit uh, allows her to conceive and carry Jesus. And so Jesus is not the biological son of Joseph in that sense. Uh, Joseph is described by and large as the husband of Mary, not as the father of Jesus. But of course, um, by way of human adoption and him being the rightful husband of Mary, he certainly raises Jesus and all of those kind of things. But it's interesting that maybe in the name of protecting uh, the virgin birth, or maybe in the name of protecting Jesus' um, divinity, uh, that we just don't have much to say about Joseph because we don't want to drift into making uh, heretical statements or something like that. But I think, uh, in large part, throughout history, uh, the opposite extreme has happened where Mary is exalted to an unhelpful place of worship, of adoration that is only um, something that should be given to God, especially thinking in the Roman Catholic Church in its history, where uh, Mary is even elevated uh, at the detriment of God the Father. And it's a very sad thing. But you would think, just by the historical emphasis on Mary, you would think that she's always the key figure. And you would think that essentially nothing is said about Joseph. But that is simply not true, according to the Bible. And since all of Scripture is God-breathed and profitable, It's not just those genealogies that matter, but it's also the points of emphasis that they transition into. And in the case of the Gospel of Matthew, it's Joseph that is transitioned toward after that genealogy is given, and we come to understand what this man was like, and we come to find out that he was not some kind of renegade, 
or some kind of ungodly figure, but he was a man of faith. I mean, even he lives up to his name, Joseph. I mean, that beautiful heritage of Joseph in the Old Testament, who is a key figure who is oriented in his job description uh, to suffer, to be on the run quite a bit. And eventually, at the end of his life, it is uh, his important role as a transitional figure to prep God's people for their exodus from Egypt. And you could argue the same kind of thing for Joseph in the New Testament, the husband of Mary, that his role um, is to care for Jesus as he grows up. And by the time Jesus is presented as an adult in the Gospels, nothing more is ever said about Joseph. Presumably, he is already dead before Jesus' crucifixion. But the way that he's presented is very interesting because he's a transitional figure, a man of faith who prepares God's people in his responsibilities uh, to protect Jesus and keep him safe. He is that transitional figure that prepares God's people for that second exodus, uh, the exodus that Jesus leads, that spiritual exodus in his work of freedom on the cross. And again, you get that simply by seeing how the camera focuses on Joseph after the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. But we also have the Gospel of Luke so that we don't think that Mary is essentially just a uh, human responsible for carrying a child, and after she gives birth to this child, uh, she is suddenly irrelevant. Well, that is not the case either. She is presented to us as a woman of great faith. She's presented to us even after Jesus becomes an adult, and she's given great honor. And we should uh, thank God for her uh, godliness in history, um, because all of it is important. All of it matters because all of it is found in the Bible. But again, you can't appreciate this if you can't come to appreciate those genealogies. Those genealogies are not simply to put us to sleep like counting sheep or to be cruel to us because we have a hard time pronouncing some of the names. Instead, they're making an historical claim. These people really did live in history. Here is where they came from. And here is who came from them later on. And that is all the more important when it comes to genealogy of Jesus Christ himself. So hopefully this gives you a fresh set of eyes to think about these genealogies. We could certainly say the same kind of thing about the genealogies given to us of all of the important figures in the Old Testament. But I just wanted to show you an interesting example of how genealogies in the Bible function not only as claims to historical accuracy, but also the way that they transition into making theological points of emphasis, and how they also focus on specific characters uh, that are mentioned, such as Mary and Joseph in Luke and Matthew's Gospels. Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you found that helpful. I hope it gives you um, a great appreciation for the genealogies in the Bible and the fact that the Bible certainly makes 
a claim for historical reliability. Well, this has been Kevin Morris with the Better Bible Reading Podcast. I'll be with you on another episode real soon, but until then, take care.